Hey, hey, Boss Free Ballers. Patty Dominguez here with Tim Wambach, episode 27. We're so excited to bring you this episode with Rob Cuesta. If you've ever thought about consulting or building a consulting business, learn from this man. He is an absolute genius. Going from six figures in debt, figuring things out over and over again, failing, and then he figured it out. He's giving giving you the secret sauce on this episode, basically an MBA in a box. Don't miss it. Let us know what you think. Hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, because that's what makes you a Boss Free Baller by hitting that subscribe button. Reach out to us on Twitter at Boss Free Society. We'd love to hear from our ballers as well as consider leaving us a ratings and review. That's how we know how we're doing, what guests you want to see, what information would help you out. That's what we're here. We're here to serve. So check out this episode. Let us know what you think. We'll see you on the other side. Do you believe there is more to your career than waiting for the gold watch in 40 years? Did you know that the average American spends 200 hours a year commuting to a job they probably hate? Does it frost your ass to get a 2% raise that barely keeps up with the rate of inflation? Have you ever worked for a boss hole? We know how you feel, and we want to help. Welcome to the Boss Free Society Podcast, your entertaining entrepreneur therapy session with your hosts, Tim Wambach and Patty Dominguez. Couch not included. Welcome, Patty. How are you doing? I am fantastic and looking forward to our new guest. I know I say this every single time. It's just really exciting to hear success and hearing that journey to success. So, Tim, talk about our next guest. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Our next guest is Rob Cuesta. He's an international entrepreneur, speaker, and author on leadership and marketing, and author of two Amazon bestsellers on practice building for professional service films. His products and programs simplify marketing for consultants, professional advisors, experts, and service providers around the world. From Stockholm, Sweden to Sydney, Australia, and from British Columbia to Beijing, China. In 2005, after three years in private practice as a consultant and trainer, Rob's business was struggling, with annual fees running to rather less than he used to earn in three months. Rob was facing bankruptcy. By December 2005, he had turned the business around, generating almost a quarter of a million pounds in fees over the next two years alone. Uh, Rob is the author of five amazing uh, Amazon best-selling books about how to become a highly paid expert in today's ultra-competitive market. Premium, how experts just like you are charging premium rates for what they know, and you can too. There's money in this book. More clients, more money, more fun, and sick and secrets of a six-figure expert. Uh, Rob was born and raised in the UK to Spanish parents. Rob lives in Toronto, Canada. He loves the open sea, climbing, and in, def- in deference to his Mediterranean roots, salsa. The Boss <laughs> Free Society podcast welcomes Rob Cuesta. Rob, yay. Hi. So much to talk to you, by the way, which I, I didn't realize that your parents are from Spain. I lived there for about four and a half years. It was It's beautiful. It's beautiful there. We could talk about salsa. We could talk about lots of stuff. Tim wants to talk about your trajectory as a yep. business owner. It's been quite a ride. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I dug in a little bit, Rob, to, uh, you know, in, on your website and just kind of looking at more things that you've done. And, and it said to me more specifically that you were like $170,000 in debt during that time in 2005. And I think there's people out there listening who have, you know, maybe are in that amount of debt or, you know, are 
interested in hearing how did you turn it all around? What did you do? Uh, well, first thing is to understand how I got there in the first place, I guess, That's right. which is the way that a lot of uh, new entrepreneurs get themselves into debt, which is by trying to do everything on my own. And I set up the business in 2002, and uh, I, I made a couple of critical mistakes. First was the business was me. I was the business. You know, If I was in a meeting with a client and some and we ran out of pens, I would... I would be the one that went down to Staples to get a new pen. Uh, I remember a few years later being in the offices of the board of ABN AMRO. I was doing a, I was running a, a, a program for them, and somebody said, "Oh, let's stop for tea." And without thinking what I was doing, I got up and started going towards the kitchen. And <laughs> so now I have the managing director of, of a major international bank saying, "No, no, stop that. <laughs> we have." people to do that for us yeah yeah uh, so that was the first big mistake i made was thinking that uh because i was in business for myself that i had to do everything for myself and the second one was that i tried to be all things to all people you know i i served the business and initially i was marketing myself as a coach and coaches can solve anything for anyone and that was the message i was taking out of the market and nobody was listening in that year of 2005, when I got to rock bottom in January, I sat down and I did. The first thing I realized was I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. So 2005, I call my year of partnering because that was the year in which I started setting up joint ventures, in which I started reaching out to other people and getting other people to, to help me to build my business. That was, that was the first year I also got myself a business coach. Oh, that's so brilliant. So <laughs> there you go. There I you actually, go. I actually, Rob, want to stop you there because I think that one of the key messages there is as a solopreneur, when you're starting out or an entrepreneur, whatever you want to, to, to call, call yourself for the audience. This is gold. I always say this. This is gold because we have a tendency to be or become an entrepreneur, but an operational entrepreneur because we're doing everything. And the reality is, is it's it's definitely a control issue for some people. For other people, they believe, hey, I just can't let go because it would take me more time for me to teach what it is that I do and how I do it. Right. So how did you assess in that process, taking a look at your business in hindsight and say, this is what my issue is? Is that because of the mentor, the business coach you hired or how did that work? No, it actually took me probably the best part of six years to figure out what it was I'd done. (laughs) I didn't actually figure out until around 2010, 2011. that That was that was the secret to the change. Okay, so then so then how did you set that up once you recognize what was it? that you kind of re-engineered in your business to free you up for that core competency, really honing in on your talent? Well, the, the, again, uh, that was a, a process of gradual approximation. Yeah. Uh, the, the first joint venture that I set up um, was uh, with a, another business coach over here in North America, and we organized uh, a webinar with her list. Uh, actually, no, with my list, her expertise and i realized at the end of it that i'd done the front end work i'd set up the joint venture and everything else but actually there was nothing on the back end of it so out of that first joint venture my total earnings were i think about 60 dollars <laughs> i was expecting some commas in there <laughs> you, you, you couldn't you couldn't even go out to dinner with that a business no <laughs> Wow, what a lesson. And how come? How come? So t- tell us why that happened. 
because there were there was we'd set up or I had set up the front end and I I just hadn't thought about what happens next. Right. So I was building, you know, I'd got a shop front, yes. but there was nothing behind the front. So that was the first joint venture. The second joint venture was uh, rather more successful, and that was getting that was introducing me back into the broad industry that I'd come out of. I'd come out of management consulting and accounting. And so the joint venture that I, the second joint venture got me back speaking to clients in that industry. Um, that, well, over the last uh, 11, uh, well, over the next three or four years, that made me start it up in my mind, probably the best part of $150,000 in fees. And that wasn't affiliate fees. That was them introducing me and that and those people becoming my clients directly, which is why, for one thing, that was a lot more profitable for me. But also it was because now I was starting to narrow down on a particular industry and I was starting to narrow down on clients that I could connect with and that I understood rather than trying to be everything to everybody. And then in the third joint venture that I set up that year, that was the one where I really narrowed down on a particular kind of client. And that is the joint venture that in a matter that in the next twelve months earned me hundred and thirty two thousand dollars and in the two years from when it started, it made me the best part of three hundred thousand dollars brilliant okay, so there's so many ways we can go here what <laughs> What did you find to be the critical criteria in partnering so if there's that kind of a jV situation joint venture or a partner something like that how how do you kind of set it up or how have you uh, come up with criteria to help you hone in on that right partner? So most of the time when we're told to go out and join and create joint ventures, people say, oh, you know, think of, think of your client and then go and find people who have that client before you. Uh-huh. And the focus is on, you know, who should I be joint venturing with? But there isn't much focus put on who's the client that I need to get them to introduce me to. And that comes almost as an afterthought. It's assumed that you're already working with the right kind of client. You just can't get enough of them. And that this person is magically going to introduce you to them. If you pick pick a joint venture partner who's connected to the wrong crowd because you were targeting the wrong crowd in the first place. Oh, that's good. It's going to fail anyway. Right. Right. And that was the mistake that I made the first time. And the second time, it was getting a little bit better. It was closer to my ideal client, but it wasn't quite there yet. And on the third time, that was when it hit the sweet spot. So the real the, the problem with joint ventures is you've got to really be certain who you want that joint venture to introduce you in the fir- introduce you to in the first place. And that's where it all goes horribly wrong for a lot of entrepreneurs. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So how did you kind of fine tune that process, though? There was some logic and some uh, some technique that I used, and I could share. You know, my fu- it was pure accident. <laughs> I'm looking for something like really, you know, cerebral, like, oh, it's this algorithm that I came up with. No, no. Um, It was uh, it was pure coincidence. Um, And it it was kind of like it's it's pure coincidence in the same way that uh, and no disrespect to anybody who's watching the the, this and has a different set of of beliefs, but no different from natural selection and evolution. Mm. In that the reason I was able to get that powerful joint venture was because I was the right person for that joint venture as well. Right. So if I hadn't had been going into an industry in which I had a track record and I had credibility and I had real value to create, that joint venture partner wouldn't have been so keen to introduce me. That's right. That's right. right. And, it, yeah, so, and again, there's probably something you can see in if you're working with a joint venture partner 
what's the difference between one joint venture partner and another. You know, you could be working with one joint venture partner and their idea of being a uh, JV is they'll send out a couple of emails on your behalf. They're doing it for 30 other people as well. And the reason they're like that is because, well, you're kind of an okay match for their list and they're hoping to make some money on the back of it. When you're a perfect match for that person's audience, they can afford to promote you a lot more actively and they can afford to do a lot more for you. And so that joint venture is going to be a lot more. This wasn't supposed to be a conversation about joint venture. But that's how we do it because this is <laughs> and, good stuff. It's and good that's, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's how it works. You know, you, we, yeah, go down, we, we, we go down a hole or we go down a path and then nothing, more stuff gets unearthed. But, I mean, so you make a good point. So you had brought a lot to the table to your partners that they said, okay, this is yeah. where we can go with it. Exactly. So then, and it was more than just an affiliate commission. <laughs> right, exactly. right. It is a real partnership. So talk to us about, you said you came from consulting and you had an accounting background. What At what point did you feel or did you believe you're like, I'm unemployable. I'm going to go the boss reroute. I mean, obviously it's taking you through this amazing journey. But at what moment? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm trying to think wh- whether it was two weeks before or two weeks after I handed in my resignation. <laughs> 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 I mean, I, I always describe myself now as professionally unemployable. <laughs> and, ha- and how? We're right there with um, you. Actually, the, the time it really came to, to roost for me was uh, I was working with a client and I'd signed myself up for uh, a training course in Vegas in July, which is a completely different different matter as well that we can discuss. You know, the, the logic of booking yourself to go to Vegas in the in the hottest month of the year, but right. that's another matter. <laughs> but I, I I went I was working with a client on a on a project and I said, you know, I'm not going to be here in July. And she turned around and she said, Well, you know, you can't do that. You know, nobody here can take more than two weeks off at a time. And I said, you forget one very important point. I don't work for you. I'll see you in August. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the point at which I think I realized, hey, this is yeah, I am the boss of my own time, and but yeah. So when did I become? When did I start to consider myself professionally unemployable? Yeah, not long into my entrepreneurial journey, I think. That's so true. (laughs) So, so how long have you been an entrepreneur? Uh, I set up the business in two thousand and two. And through all this that has happened, getting yourself out of that debt of one hundred seventy thousand dollars, what is the biggest key learning that has helped you as you look? from a 3,000-foot view? <laughs> um, the, the big one was that you can't do it all alone. Um, the second one was the value of having a mentor, a coach, you know, someone who is outside your business to, uh, to bounce ideas off. And the third one is... Uh, and there's a lot of people who call themselves entrepreneurs and aren't because, uh, and I think, I think it's a point that, um, Robert Kiyosaki makes in the, um, in the rich dad, poor dad books, you know, someone who is basically just selling their own time is not an entrepreneur. Uh, the traditional definition of an entrepreneur was some, was, you know, someone who took something that wasn't worth very much in one place and moved it to somewhere where it'd be worth a lot more. Whether that's, you know, spices from the Far East being brought over to Europe in the Middle Ages, or whether it's, you know, finding a pool of labor in one country where they're they're not valued and 
selling those services somewhere where they are or finding you know the latest uh, piece of technology somewhere in one industry where it's maybe taken for granted and selling it. But whatever it is, if you can find something that has no value or very little value somewhere and find a crowd of people who are willing to pay more for it, that's, that's entrepreneurship. Mm. And so the other thing that I learned was in the last few years, I became, you know, I actually had people beneath me whose services I was selling through the business. So effectively, I stopped. Just, it, it was no longer down to how many hours have I got in my day and how many hours can I sell and how many do I need to set aside for, for building the business. Uh, this is so right. good. Right. This is so good, people. <laughs> Here's why. Because oh, we're so right on the money with you, Rob. Because when I, for example, started out in my entrepreneurial career, I'm like, okay, I could take my skills that I've learned over my 15 years of corporate America experience and I could start consulting. So you can get stagnated there and literally you are just self-employed, right? Yeah. But entrepreneurship... I'm just saying what you've said in another way, but entrepreneurship is creating scale. It's diversifying the income. It's creating the right types of partnerships where you are no longer subject to here's my one hour at two hundred and you know thirty dollars an hour. <laughs> so that's the the beauty of it. And I think that don't beat yourself up if you're not there. It's a call to action of anything to understand where the opportunities lie because they're yeah. infinite in entrepreneurship. As Rob has just he's dropping major value bombs like around the whole concept of not being an operational entrepreneur, right? We all get stuck in that mode and it's up to you to to validate and qualify. Is this going to be for the year while I figure my stuff out? Or am I going to get caught in the minutia of serving tea? (laughs) (laughs) Or are you going to recognize? I'm telling you guys, cut your cut your learning time short. This is absolutely valuable or cutting that time short, recognizing what joint venture partnerships you can tap into, finding that right type of mentor, which I think is interesting, Rob, that you're saying that because I would have guessed that finding a mentor in the field that you want to get into would be good, but you're saying a completely different field. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask you more about that? Is that because there are certain models or methodologies that you can apply to a new industry, or how do you it's, how do you figure that? It's partly, it's that. It's also um, if you do if your if your mentor is in the same industry exactly as you, right. All you're going to be doing is exactly what other people in your industry are doing. You're never going to learn anything wider. Right. Uh, the, the one thing, whenever a client says to me, so what do you, do, what do you know about my industry? The, the key point I make is I know how the industry works, but I don't, I'm not an insider to it. And that means that I can show you what's working in other places and we can adapt it. And you'll be doing something that none of your competitors are doing. If right. you're just learning from other people in your own industry, you're going to be doing exactly the same thing as your competitors are doing. Love and it. that becomes a, a zero sum game. Yeah, and and that's what's you know so important to have different mastermind groups because you're you're a part of different mastermind groups who have different skill yeah. sets and they bring different things to the table and that's where one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one can equal ten or, or greater. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So so yeah. Rob, tell us about your book. I mean, there's so many different paths we can go here. I specifically was checking out premium. Um, premium is the yeah. title of one of Rob's books, and it says premium, how experts just like you are charging premium rates for what they know, and you can too. Chronic issue in entrepreneurship is we have a tendency to undervalue what our hourly worth is, or we submit our proposal humbly because at the beginning, 
um, you're I'm not saying you per se, I'm saying in general, we have a tendency to say, oh, I really need this client because I got to make that mortgage payment type of thing. And yeah. you're saying you can charge just like experts do. Can can you kind of take us through the hypothesis and through what y- you cover at a high level, obviously, in your book, Premium? Yeah. Um, the, 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 key, the, the key thing to understand is... Um, well, first of all, when I when I stu- when I was a, became an accountant, uh, part of what I studied was economics, and then when I did my MBA, part of what I studied was economics. And there's this whole idea of supply and demand. The more you charge, the less people will buy. And so there's, there's this fear that you know if I raise my fee a little bit, I'm going to have fewer clients. And it's absolutely true. If you raise your fee a little bit, you will get a drop off in clients. But if it if that line constantly went down that way, then at some point it would reach zero and there'd be a point at which nobody would buy anything else. In which case, um, there would be no Aston Martin or Rolls-Royce mm. or Bugatti Veyron in the car industry. There would be no, um, I mean, the world's most expensive coffee is $60 an ounce. Mm. And as I point out in the book, it's made from roasted cat poo. Oh, what? <laughs> how, how lovely. Absolutely. See, that's another reason why I don't drink coffee. <laughs> there, 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 there's this coffee called Kopi Luwak. And, uh, and what happens is there's this wild cat in Indonesia that goes through the forest, eats berries off the coffee, pl- off the coffee bushes. And then uh, a few hours later, they poops them out and somebody's going along behind them and picking up these berries. They roast them and they make the, the world's most expensive coffee. Oh my god! Uh, and one of the, one of the questions I re- I ask in the book is actually, you know, how, I mean, I love my coffee, but how desperate do you have to be for a cup of coffee that you're walking through the forest, you see a pile of cat poo, and you think, I wonder what that would be like if I put it in <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in and and if anything, that person's a freaking marketing genius Absolutely. to then charge an ultra premium for it. Talk talk about going in a different direction. Yeah, it's not Maxwell House, you know. No. Holy mackerel! This is not your grandfather's coffee. No. <laughs> I love it. Wow. So yeah, so so you've got coffee being sold at sixty bucks uh, an ounce. You've got cars being sold for the, the price of a small house in some neighborhoods. You've got uh, ladies' underwear that, that there's a there's a there are several manufacturers that charge hundreds of dollars for a pair of, you know, for a set of ladies' underwear where you can go, well, when you can go down to Walmart and pay six bucks for three sets. <laughs> right, exactly. So if this whole idea of there is some magical point at which you, uh, some price at which you can't sell anymore because it's, the line has reached zero, that it's nonsense. Yeah. Um, it's what uh, I call it the, the um, yeah, what do I call it? <laughs> The Stella point, the Stella. because there's a beer called Stella Artois. Oh, yes, of course. And yes. in England, for many years, it was advertised with the tagline, reassuringly expensive. I love it. Ooh. So they claimed their space right there. Absolutely. Smart. You know, they were a premium beer. They charged more than other people, and they were proud to do it. Love it. Uh, and that's what you have to do. You, you have to be confident in your value and charge what it's worth. And you also have to stop listening to other people because most of the time when we're setting our prices, who do we listen to? Well, when I set up my business, the first thing I did was I talked to the people I'd been working with. So they had an idea of what 
a reasonable amount to charge was, and it was based on what they were being paid. So if you ask your friends, they're going to push you to charge less than they're being paid an hour because they don't want to be want you to be making more than them. Right. If you are, if you are, if you look at what you were being paid before, then you're letting your boss set your your value. And their interest was in making a profit, so they're not going to have been paying you what you were worth. Or who else do we ask? We ask our parents. Well, they want to protect you, and they want to make sure that you're not pushing yourself too hard and you know, that you're not going to do anything stupid. So they're going to put, force you down. <laughs> or we look at this magical figure called the market rate, which is effectively what your competitors are charging, which means that you're not you're now asking your competitors to set your fee, or worse still, you're asking your competitors, friends, mother, and former boss to set your fees. <laughs> wow. Yep. So as, as the only person that we can realistically ask, what is this worth, is our, our customer. Now, something is worth whatever people will pay for it. That's right. Can you give us an example, Rob, of how you helped a client through that kind of the transition of where they were charging and how you took them to a totally different place. Yeah. So, um, so one thing you can do is change who you're selling to. So I was working, I, I did work with one company and their target customer was small entrepreneurs, small entrepreneurial businesses. A typical one of those would pay them something like $5,000 a year. The the thing was that they had a USP, which was it was a, it was a comp- it was a production facility, and they, their USP was the amount of money they'd invested in getting their production facility up to meet the latest standards uh, internationally and everything. And they were selling it to a bunch of people who didn't care about that. All they cared about was price. Now the customers who would care about that was major international corporations. So we just switched them from chasing hundreds of small customers to chasing a handful of big customers who actually valued what they had to offer. And the average, the value of their customers went from $5,000 a year to $180,000 a year overnight. Wow. Wow. That's a nice ROI. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, so in terms of – so that's the premise of your book, um, Premium. Take us through – if we were to say, okay, if all of, of Rob's books, is there a path that someone could take to... Is there a path? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the very first one that I wrote was... Uh, actually, it's here. <laughs> a slim volume called More Clients, More Money, More Fun. That really is the the fundamentals, the basics of marketing. But it's a very traditional marketing model. Okay. It's uh, It's the marketing model of... You know, um, ultimately, what we've got to do is find a number of prospects, convert as many of them as we can. You know, if we want to make more money, we sell. We have to increase our conversion. Then we have to increase how much we're selling. The, you know, the value of that customer, and we have to get them to buy more often. Right. Very standard um, fundamentals of marketing that a lot of people forget. The next one was the secrets of a six-figure expert, in which I turned around and said, "That is really slow." Because the basic premise of Secrets of a Six-Figure Expert was the marketing funnel is, the traditional marketing funnel is broken. You know, this idea that you get somebody to take a very a free offer and then you get them to buy a low-priced offer and then you just tweak a little bit more and get them to buy something, 
you know, so free five bucks, a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, and uh, all the way down until they actually get into some kind of premium offer. Takes a long time. And so I said, cut out the middle steps, just find the most, you know, focus on those customers who are already primed for the premium mm. and then go for that. Um, so that's a great introduction to that model of you know, why on earth are we spending three years chasing one customer and courting them when there are some customers out there who would go straight for the high value offer, but we can do that in a matter of days. Or, uh, In fact, I call this my $20,000 book because I sat down next to somebody at a conference and they said, you know, what do you do? And I, I was listening to the speakers. So I handed it to them. And by, by the end of that conference, they'd signed up for a $20,000 program. Oh, that's oh. so good. <laughs> that took a moment, didn't it? A couple of, uh, you know, a, a couple of days, a few hours. And that book, I mean, it's, Ooh, all of 50 pages long. So, and in fact, that was the book that I used to launch the, to launch my old mastermind program. You know, so uh, typically people tell us we need a, a list of tens of thousands of people. That book went out to a list of 250 people and turned into the best part of a hundred thousand dollars worth of income in six months. That's sure. brilliant. Uh, so, which is one of the reasons why the latest book that I wrote was this one called authority which is all about how to use books. And if I was going to start with one, um, particularly if it's somebody who is changing from being an employee to being a, a solopreneur, entrepreneur, business owner, however they want to describe themselves, the, the key is to build up authority as quickly as possible. If I, if I were to go back now and start my business again, the first thing I would have done would, be, would have been to write a book. Uh, just because it immediately establishes you in your prospects' minds as an expert in your field. Yes, that's brilliant. So, so that would be the first one to implement, you know, that, the, uh, the book authority. And then premium is all about business models that will help you to, to, to charge premium rates. So it's you know, things like setting up group programs, um, setting up uh, one-day consultations that are you know, $5,000, $10,000 and things like that. It's it's all about how do I hone in on how do I establish my credibility first of all uh, to justify the premium rate and then how do I, I how do I offers to justify that premium rate so authority build your authority first then create the premium offers and then go out and make money with it that is so exciting. Awesome. All right, guys, so you know to get all of Rob's books because them, yes. in a nutshell, guys, <laughs> it's probably going to save you a lot of money instead of going to get an MBA. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad, that's bad. No, I'm not digging on it, but it's so funny because the most I've learned are from the masterminds and the people that I've yeah. met and the books that I've read outside right. of going to grad school. I don't know, Rob, yeah. if you're in, the, in that same boat, but... Yeah, what absolutely. Rob is talking about are all the essential kind of the bones, the foundation of how to build a successful business where you are positioning yourself in a premium light, right? Creating that authority by writing a book, um, doing the different types of tactics of marketing methods to cut that time short and really get you to profitability um, in a way quicker time than than we have learned in school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Absolutely. It's so great. So Rob, tell us what's up for, for 2015 and beyond like how are you how are you 
kind of growing your business and what does success look like for you? Yeah. So the focus this year is um, the next book, which is uh, all about, you know, because I've been doing so much work with professional service firms and professional advisors, it's okay, we've we've grown the, 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 the revenue. Now let's increase profits by working on what's happening underneath the surface. So it's it's taking that the technicians and teaching them how to be business owners. And the focus of and the, the reason for doing that is to then start bringing in associate coaches who are going to help me to to take this out further. Mm, brilliant. Brilliant. Outstanding. Outstanding. So Rob, uh, as we are leaving the call, it's so you know, these always go by so fast. It's hard to believe we've already been talking <laughs> know, for over 30 long. minutes. <laughs> it's it's really hard to, to believe that. But we always ask our guests. Now, first I gotta I gotta kind of preface this. We're we're not letting our listeners know that you can do this tomorrow, that you can become boss free tomorrow. But what sage advice do you have for our boss free society peeps that perhaps maybe it's an action that they can take in the next 24 to 48 hours that they can apply to their business or life? Okay. So, um, so is this people who are, uh, who are, so if you're, if what you're thinking of is how do I set myself up to, to set up my business as quickly as possible? Um, I teach, one of the things that I teach my clients to do is to use a book before they've even written it. Um, and the way to do that is to, if you're thinking about the kind of business that you want to set up and you know the kind of customers that you want to be working with, pick 10 or 12 of them and ask to interview them. That gets you in front of 10 or 12 potential customers for your new business. Hmm. Then you interview them and you can turn that into a book in your own time. But the, the key thing you've done is you've just set yourself up 10 interviews, 10 meetings with potential customers. And they're not viewing it as a sales meeting. What you've done is you've gone to them and said, hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm writing a book about this industry, this field. Uh, I would love to get your view on it as a whatever it is, whatever that person standing is in that market. I'd love, when can we talk? Now, if somebody came to you and said, I'd love to interview you for a book, you're not going to say no. Right. And, the, and if you're the person's gatekeeper, you're not going to want to be the gatekeeper who goes to their boss and says, hey, somebody, somebody rang up saying they wanted to write a book about you, so I sent them away. <laughs> so it gets you in front of your target customer. Uh, and you know, if you ring them up and say, hi, I'd like to, are you free this afternoon? That means you could actually have a sales meeting this afternoon. So that means you've now used a book that you haven't written to get in front of someone that you want to sell to. Um, you interview them. Then at some point it's turned into a book. What do you do? You tell them, Hey, the book is now out. I'd love to come and talk to you about it and get your feedback. So now you've got a second interview with them, second meeting with them. Um, at some point you can follow up. <laughs> doing business. You're doing I'm business, so Rob. <laughs> no worries. I was completely engaged, and then you hear what kind of ringtone was that? That was a James Bond theme. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Very appropriately. I'm telling you, that was staged, everybody. <laughs> Just in case they ring back, let me put it on silent like I should have done in the first place. No worries. No worries. It's all good. So. Yeah, so you, you've met them once to interview them. You've met them again to tell to hand over the book. Uh, then you can have a launch party. Even if it's six months down the line, you can have a launch party. So get all the people you met the first time 
for the interviews into the room, get all their friends into the room. Now you've got a room full of your potential clients. So in six months, you've had three meetings with one person and got them to invite a bunch of their friends into the room with you as well. That is gold. That's awesome. <laughs> that is gold. That's awesome. And I'm telling you, I almost wish we would charge for this because literally, guys, this was a consultation in a box with such great actual advice. I mean, this is like the round table of big thinking right now. And in Rob's case, he has used his hindsight and literally use it to be your foresight because he's giving you so much of the trajectory of his business and where he's gone and the things that he has found that have worked, right? So he's giving you the secret sauce. So go back and listen to this episode again and again because it's wonderful. And Rob, thank you so much for your time. We will have all the social media links in the show notes as well as additional information on your programs and how people can get a hold of you if they would like to explore working with Rob and hearing more about how you do what you do in your live events and whatnot. So thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Boss Free Society podcast. If you want more, connect with us on Facebook at Boss Free Society fan page, Twitter at Boss Free Society, or join our group of other boss-free-minded peeps at the Boss Free Dojo on Facebook.